thought we'd start out with a little fun uh, today. We've been talking about the, the battle for the mind and just the power of thoughts and everything. And so I thought, uh, here's some imponderable thoughts. Why are they called apartments when they're stuck together? Why do you drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Why is abbreviated such a long word? Why, why is a doctor's surgery called a practice, a man who invests all your money, a broker, and why do they land airplanes in a terminal? If a cow laughed, would milk come out her nose? If a pig loses its voice, is it disgruntled? <laughs> if lawyers are disbarred and clergymen defrocked, doesn't it follow that electricians can be delighted, musicians denoted, cowboys deranged, models deposed, tree surgeons debarked, and dry cleaners depressed? How about this one? If one of the synchronized swimmer drowns, do all have to follow? <laughs> if all roads lead to Rome, how do Romans get anywhere? Do you need a silencer if you're going to shoot a mime? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. All right. <laughs> I like this one. If you butter a piece of toast and drop it, it lands butter side up. If you drop a cat, it always lands on its feet. So what would happen if you buttered the back of a cat and dropped that? What happens if you get scared half to death twice? And how about this one? I love this one. Why do you press... This, we can all relate to this. Why do you press harder on a remote when you know the battery's dead? <laughs> and why is one match... Why is it that one match can start a forest fire, but it takes a box of matches to light a barbecue, right? You know, several... Uh, a long time ago, there was this guy by the name of Earl Nightingale, and he wrote this motivational... or did this motivational film that was shown at a lot of businesses and things, and it was about 30 or 45 minutes, and it, it came down to really one point that he, that he said, and this is it, that, 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 we, uh, that, that we become what we think about the most. And it's really true when you think about it. We really do. But, but way before he ever talked, 2,000 years before that, there's a guy by the name of Solomon who wrote the book of Proverbs, and here's what he said about it. He said the same thing. In uh, Proverbs 4.23, he said, be careful what you think because your thoughts Run your life. Wow. And also the kind of verse for this, this whole thing, for as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. In other words, we've said this. We said our life is going to be going in the direction of our strongest thoughts. It's just what, it's just what happens. And, and think about, um, because, because of that, it's really important that we think about what we're thinking about because so much is on the line. It's the direction of our life. And there's so many blessings that the Bible gives us for if our, if our thoughts are in the right place, if our thoughts are going the right direction. Uh, for, for instance, it says, the mind of sinful man is death. If we have a mind on the wrong things, it actually leads to death in our life. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. I mean, again, if we want life and peace in our life, we need to make sure that our mind is going in that direction. Also, the, the Bible says he will keep in perfect peace the person whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in, in you. And so if we want our mind, again, if we want perfect peace in our, in our life, we need to be trusting in God with all of our, with all of our mind, just not just with all of, our, all of our heart. And also the verse that we took a look at last week, and it's the verse for this week, and it, it says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if we want to know what God's will is for our life, His good, pleasing, and perfect will, what does it say we need to do? We need to do, start doing something, and we need to stop doing something. What do we need to stop doing? We took a look at that week. We need to stop letting our mind be conformed to the pattern of this world. One translation says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. And that's what we said, we talked about last week. when We, we said, you know, God gave us this perfect example of what it means to conform in, in nature, and it's the chameleon. 
The chameleon is totally influenced by its environment around us, that it it lets the world squeeze it into its mold. And the same way that we said that that that's not God's intent for our life. And notice that it said this. Know that it said, don't uh, don't let it happen any longer. So even though this was written to Christians, this was written to the the church at Rome. He's He's saying, it's happening right now. You're letting your mind be conformed to the pattern of this world. You're letting your mind be be uh, squeezed into the world's mold. Don't let it happen anymore because God has some, a much better plan. So that's what we need to stop doing. What do we need to start doing? And that's, it says we need to be transformed. What does it mean to be transformed? And I think, you know, that, that the entertainment industry gives us a lot of, uh, of ideas and pictures about what it means to be transformed. For one, you've got, you've got super, you know, Clark Kent, who turns into Superman, right? All he has to do is go into a, a phone booth and boom, he's transformed. Or you've got the Transformers, which have been popular for the last, you know, last decade or so, and you can have a car or a truck turn into Bumblebee or Optimus Prime or, the, you know, these incredible machines of, uh, of, of battle, right? But then I think God gives us another picture from nature. You think about what the word means for transform that's in the Greek, it, it's, it's, it's metamorpho. What do you think word we get from that? Metamorphosis. And there's, you know, there's several things that God gives us, beautiful pictures in nature of what it means to transform. And one of those is, of course, a caterpillar. A caterpillar is, you know, it changes into a chrysalis and then it changes, it is transformed. That's the word it used, transformed into a butterfly. Now, it's still, in essence, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same creature. It doesn't turn into a different creature, but it transforms into something much more amazing, much more beautiful. And that's really the picture, I think, that God has for us, that, that we can inch along in our life, can't we? And we can just go around the ground and inch along and, and just barely get any, anywhere in our, our life. Or we can allow our mind to become something beautiful, and we can allow you know, God to, uh, to, to let our mind soar as well. That's the picture that God is saying that he wants to do, from, from one thing to a completely different thing through the renewing of our, through the renewing of our, our mind. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we be transformed? How does that happen? Uh, and I think, you know, the, it says through the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? What does it mean to renew something? And I think a picture of that, again, that we could do, if you've ever seen the TV show Fixer Upper or any of the TV shows on HGTV or anything like that, you understand what the picture of, uh, of that means, to renew something. In fact, the word renew also means to, to, to renovate. And, and think about how many times you've seen things be renovated in this world. Anybody who's been down to, to Charlotte realizes that some parking lots were renovated to be a beautiful stadium down, uh, down, uh, down, uh, down in downtown. And then also you have, you know, I've seen one time there was a, a church that was full of asbestos. And, and they came in and renovated it into be a, a place that was safe once again. Anybody living in the Kannapolis area, we know that we've seen something being transformed or renovated completely from a, from a, a mill that's not even inhabited anymore to an incredible research center. We've seen what that means. And if you, you know, on the, on the TV show, uh, that you, what you have is you have, you have two people, Chip and Jojo, who are a, who's a couple. And, and I've actually never sat down on, like, on my couch to watch the show, but I've been at the gym that I go to, it's always over on the right, and they're always showing this, this couple, and what they all wanted, what they want to do, they're always about is taking something run down, something old, something dilapidated, and turning it into something more beautiful. 
And they do that in many different ways. One thing that they do is they tear down walls, right? They tear down walls. And that's exactly one thing that God wants to do in our life. He wants to tear down walls that we've had, uh, tear down walls that we've had mental walls towards people, towards God, towards whatever it is that we've had these walls. God wants to do some tearing down. We also, something they do is they always get rid of the, the garbage. They get rid of the trash. They get rid of the rubbish that's around in the yard and in the, in, in the house. Again, that's something God wants to do to us. If you, you know, something we can admit is all of us have, have programmed our mind with some pretty, pretty junky stuff, right? There's some clutter. There's some garbage. There's some trash in our, uh, in our minds that we have spent a lifetime of, of putting, putting in there. And God wants to take out isn't that a beautiful picture? God wants to take out the garbage so it can be something more beautiful. Something else that they, they do is they, where there's darkness, where there's dark areas, they bring light. They bring different lighting in so they can light up. And there's some dark areas in our life. There's some dark areas of our thinking. And God wants to lighten those areas. God wants to make those areas that become, uh, that become alive. And there's issues that they have to deal with, right? Some are little issues. Some are humongous issues. Sometimes it's issues of plumbing. Sometimes it's the issues of electric, uh, electricity or something like that. But they almost always have some issues. And let's just admit it. I mean, we are all broken people, and we all have issues. There's things, and some are little and some are big, but God wants us to deal with those issues. God wants to go after those issues so it doesn't spoil over into our relationships and spoil over into our, our marriage and spoil into, into our job and spoil into our, you know, whatever it is. God wants to deal with those issues so it doesn't affect us and those around us and those we, those we love. And one thing they teach us is in order to renew something, there two things need to happen. First, you need to get rid of the old, and you need to bring in the new. You've you got to have both of those things. The Bible makes that clear in Ephesians 4. It says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, which I, I hope applies to, to most of us hearing this, throw off your old sinful nature. It's just like taking a garment. Throw it off. And, and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit, watch where it happens, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on the new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We've got to take off the old. And something, you know, that they could not go in and they, they could not bring in the new furniture or the new paint or the new appliances or the new lighting or the new whatever they do until they get rid of the old. And, and in the same way, ladies, you know exactly what we're talking about here because in order to, you don't just put on new fingernail polish on your, on your old fingernails, right? You get rid of the old with that incredibly lethal stuff that you put on there, right? And you don't just put on the, the new on the old. You get rid of the old before you put on the new. Guys, if you've ever re, you know, redone furniture or anything like that, repainted a, a, a car, you know you have to take off the old paint, the old, the, uh, the old stain, until you, before you put on, on the new. That has, to, that has to go. If you're reprogramming a computer, you've got to take off the old before you put in the, in the new. But not only do you put, take off the old, you do need to put on the new. Who cares if you get rid of all the junk? Who cares if they get rid of the old appliances and all that if you don't, don't put new ones in? And so God not only wants to take off old stuff in our life, he wants to put new things in there. If you've ever seen a car that has been buffed out in order to be repainted, but it hasn't been repainted, it looks pretty ugly, right? If you've ever seen furniture that is, that, that is, they've taken off the old stain, but it hasn't put the new stain on yet, it looks pretty ugly. And who cares if Clark Kent goes into a phone booth if he doesn't come out as, as Superman, right? 
So it needs to be both. And think of this. That's the picture that God wants of us. The junk that's in there, the lies we believe, the, the things, the, 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 the thoughts that we have that are, that are just unproductive, that are wrong, that hurt us and things, he wants that out. But he doesn't just want those out. He wants new stuff to come in. He wants pure stuff to come in. He wants new appliances, new paint and everything in our heart. He wants our, our mind to be transformed. And I just want to say, we need to give ourselves a break here because something that it takes, that doesn't happen overnight. You know, putting, our, putting the junk in our mind didn't happen overnight. And refurnishing something, refinishing something, re, you know, renewing something, uh, God can do it in a, in a moment, but usually he takes time in order to, to, to unprogram us and reprogram us. So give ourselves some break as that is happening. And something else that we need to do, the first thing is to unmask the lies and the unproductive thoughts that have held us captive. Uh, if you, I, I used to go to a, a circus every year. There was Our neighbor would take my brother and I to a circus, a particular circus. And, and one thing, they'd, we, they'd always get there early. And they, he had this inside with these people. So we could go all behind the scenes and everything. It was pretty cool. And one thing that, we, that, that we, I always love to see is the elephants. I love seeing the elephants. But it always amazed me how these elephants could have, these huge elephants could be held at bay and held captive by a little stake in the ground. And you know something. You know at any moment this elephant could rip that thing out. And, and, and you're going, why does it not do that? But you know what I know, that from the time that, that elephant was a little little baby elephant, that peg was there and it tried at the start. It tried to pull, it tried to pull, it tried to pull, and it couldn't pull. So it, it, the, the elephant had those, you know, those pathways of, of thought pathways that it became realizing thinking, well, I can never do that because I couldn't do it then. I can never, ever, ever do it. And it formed this, this pathway there. So even though this thing has grown, what the, the, the lie that it believed is even though this thing is enormous and amazing, it could rip that out in a second, it thinks it can't. So in order to have freedom, at any moment it could develop freedom. At any moment it could be free. But instead of being free, it believes the lie. But if it starts believing the truth, which that thing couldn't hold it if it tried to, if it tried to pull it out, and starts walking, not only, not only believing the truth, but walking in the truth, that's when it can be set free. And the same thing, we're a lot of times like that. There's times that we've been held by a lie in our life from the time we were a little boy or a little girl. Or maybe it's something that's been recent in your, in, in your life. But it's a lie that you've believed, and it's held you. It has held you captive. It's, it's held you it's from that you can't find freedom in, in an area of your life. It's made it where you, where, where you, it's, it's, affected your, it's affected your joy. It's affected your peace. It's affected your relationships with other people. It's affected your relationship with, with God. It's affected your effectiveness for what God can do in your, in your life. And we need to realize that. We need to call it what it is. We need to call it the lie in order to, and then to, to walk in the freedom. Not just believe that, but to walk in the freedom. And if I can be vulnerable with you, uh, I, there was a lie that I believed from the time I was a little, little boy. And because there was a significant person in my life that, that kind of implanted that, and it seemed like, you know, that this has been reinforced for so much of my life, and Satan made, you know, went after it, really trying to make sure that this was reinforced in my life. And here's the lie that I believed. I believed that my value came from what I did. And my value came from my accomplishments. My value came from anything like that. Oh, and by the way, you'll never accomplish enough. You'll never, you'll never quite do enough because, and so there was never quite a value that I believed because 
because every time you get to this point, it was raised, the bar was raised, and, and you, it just meant you tried harder and tried harder and tried harder. And by the way, even if you tried harder, it still wouldn't be enough. That's the lie that I believe. I'll show you a, just a, an example of where this is reinforced in my, my life. Uh, the first church I was a pastor at, uh, great people, loved it, super experience, just an amazing thing. It, was a, it started out as a kind of a small church in a, in a smaller town, and we just exploded in size. Just some incredible things happened, and we saw uh, we were the church of excellence every single, every single year of our existence there that I was, that I was there. Just some great, great things were happening, and I was working my tail off. I was not only the pastor, I was the, the youth pastor, too, at a, at a youth group that was exploding as, uh, as well. I was doing midweek Bible studies. I was teaching confirmation classes. I was doing all the visitation, all the pastoral care. I was doing anything like that. I was, I mean, just name it. Probably I was trying to, I had my hand. I was leading worship for the, for the youth. I was leading worship sometimes for first, for first service that that we had there. And, and I'm telling you, I was stinking worn out. I had nothing else to give. And I remember one time, again, super people, but they gave me raises and things like that. But I remember one time, the guy that gave me the raise sat down and he said, you get this raise, and he said, I guess you're going to just have to work that much harder to deserve this raise. And I remember I went home there. Instead of celebrating a raise, I went home and I cried because I thought, I can't give any anymore. And I, I, I realized the thing is that was good about that is it was a wake-up call for me. And realizing there's no way, you know, that you're ever going to accomplish what people say. You're never going to be okay in the eyes of, of everybody else. It's never going to be, it's always going to be growing and moving and everything like that. So I began to just go, God, okay, what's the lie I've believed? And I realized it's the lie that my value comes from this. So I went after that lie and I started saying, okay, God, here's the truth. Tell me the truth about myself. Tell me the truth about what you say. And I realized that my value came from who God says I am, that I'm a creation of God. I'm a child of the living God. And God, God died for, for I have enough value that he'd send his son to die for me. And, and I'm his beloved. And I can go on and on in scripture because it started, started taking out that peg, peg right there. And instead, of uh, supplanting it with the truth of what is the truth that God says about me. And maybe some of you, what's your, what's your tent peg? What's the thing that's kept you? What's the thing that's kept you from freedom? What's the thing that's, that's held you at bay that, is, that, is, that has had an impact on your life? Because it's time that we take that up and we start believing the truth about what God says about himself and what God says about you and what God says about other, about other people. There's, uh, so the first thing we need to do is, uh, is unmask the lies that we believe. The second thing we need to do is learn to recognize, recognize lies. And go ahead and throw these up here. Here's some, here's some letters that people wrote thinking that they were going to get by with us. Here's a little kid that wrote, There will be no school this week, so Calvin can stay home and play video games. From Mrs. Teague, I am the catcher. <laughs> Riley is quitting violin for professional reasons. Dear Mrs. Something, somebody has a condition that makes it so when she does homework, it slowly kills her. Please do not send any more homework home. So, and, you know, it's amazing that somehow the moms were able to decipher these lies. It was incredible, but somehow they were able to, to do that. But, you know, there's lies that are given to us all the time that Satan makes sure that we have the, the lies. So how, here's the big thing. How do you know what the truth is in this world? I mean, if Satan is intentionally trying to lie to us, if God is trying to tell us the truth, how do we know? How do you know what a lie is and what isn't? Where do you know it's coming from? The first thing we need to do is we need to know the Word of God. Because here's the thing. If you ever hear anything that contradicts the Word of God, it is a lie. Because God never contradicts His, uh, his, his Word. So if you ever have a thought, here's the thing. If you ever have a thought that's a mean thought, that's a revengeful thought, 
that's a hateful thought, that's a, that's a, 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 a greedy thought, that's a, that's a, a, a thought that is, uh, that, that is dishonest, that is jealous, that is lustful, whatever it is, you can guarantee that those lies are not from God. How do I know that? Because every single one of those lies, I can give you a chapter and verse that God says don't do those things, that those are lies that are going to hurt you. So, so we can be sure that if that lie, if, if we have that, then we know that it is not from, from God. Here's something else that Paul, he was preaching in the book of Acts, he was preaching to a church uh, at Berea, the city of, uh, of Berea. And here's the thing, that, man, they were so eager to hear the word of God, they were just going, everything that Paul was saying, they were like, man, tell us, tell us, tell us. But watch what they did to protect themselves too. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness. That's, I pray, how we always hear the word of God. With great eagerness. And, don't miss this, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. And here's what I pray that we do. I pray I never say anything. I try very, very hard to never, ever say anything that would contradict the, the word of God. But if I ever do, you believe the word of God, you don't believe me, Right? And something else, if any celebrity says something that contradicts the Word of God, if any professor, if anybody on the Internet, if anybody, you know, that, that just whatever it is, if, you're, if a parent, if anything like that ever contradicts the Word of God, you believe the Word of God, you don't believe that source no matter what the, the source, where that source comes, comes from. In fact, this is important too. If you ever come down on a social issue that is contrary to the Word of God, that goes against the Word of God, you've believed a lie and you've allowed the, the world to squeeze you into its mold in its way of thinking. Because why? How can I say that with confidence? Because God never, ever, ever contradicts His Word. And His Word is true. And if anything else contradicts that, it is going to be a, a lie. I've been told that the way they, t- they counterfeiters, people that detect, that are trained to detect uh, counterfeit bills, is, is not that they're given all these counterfeit bills. Is first they're given the real bills. And they spend so much time feeling it and knowing it and being around it and everything and seeing it and everything that when a fake bill comes, they're going, oh, that's fake. They know it immediately because they've spent so much time with the real thing that a fake thing immediately stands out to, to them. In the same way, I pray that we know the Word of God so well. That we, and maybe you've never, ever, ever gotten in the Word of God. I challenge you to even just start taking five minutes a day, even read one chapter. It takes three or four minutes of the New Testament. Just start with the New Testament. Read your way through it. You'll get through the New Testament in one year if you even read one chapter a day. You'll get through the Bible in a year if you do four chapters a day. But even one chapter a day, start getting it in you, and then you'll be able to see when a lie comes, you'll go, you know what? No, that's a lie because it contradicts the Word of, the word of God. And, uh, and the Bible says this. Jesus says this. If you hold to my teaching then you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. And if we really want to be set free in our minds, it starts by knowing the truth of God's, uh, of God's Word, of what Jesus says. And so the, and the second thing is learn to know the heart, the heart of God. Not only know the Word of God, know the heart of God. An example of this would be there was several years ago that there was a disgruntled person in the, in the church. I know that surprised you that ever a church could have a disgruntled person, but, but there was a disgruntled person, and they said this. They came up to me and said, well, I heard, I heard somebody, this, a person who was a leader in our church, I heard that that person said so-and-so. And I said, there's not a way in the world that person said that. And, I said, and they said, well, how do you know? You weren't even there. I said, because I know this person. I know this person's well. I know this person's character. I know this person's heart. And there's not a way in the world that person would say that. And I know that in the same way that when we start knowing the character of God, we can detect a lie when it comes. Like this, if you ever hear the words that, that you're a failure, 
you ever hear the words that, 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 that God couldn't love you, if you ever hear the words that you're ugly, that you're unlovable, that you're, that you're a disappointment, that you're any of those things, I guarantee you 100% that those are words from, that they aren't words from God. How do I know that? Because I know God's character and he would never say those things. But I do know who would say those things. The one that Jesus said comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's exactly his character. Exactly the character is to tell you something that's, that's tearing you down, that's going to tear you apart. That's exactly his character, but that's not God's character. If you ever hear those words, those destructive words, they do not come from your heavenly Father. And, the, and, and, and so I'll say this too, I'll be honest again, is one time there was, for, for me, I used to, when I'd blow it on something, I would say, if I did something, said something, I would say, you idiot. I'd say that to myself out loud. But first of all, all of a sudden it occurred to me what I was saying one day, and saying something that, that I was saying about myself that God certainly wasn't saying, and somebody else was saying. So I'm agreeing with him instead of agreeing with, with, uh, with God. And, and, so, and I'm telling you, you agree with him, it'll always lead to you to bad places. It'll always lead you to hurt and pain. You, try, you believe in what God says about you, it will always lead to, uh, to freedom. So we're, we know the heart of God. We know the word of God. The other thing is be led by the spirit of God. Have you ever been at a place where, where you saw a drug-sniffing dog around? Have been there? has been an airport, things like that, most people. Uh, I remember one time I was in, in Singapore with this, and this is years ago, but uh, I don't know if they still do this, but if you ever caught with drugs in Singapore, they strung you up. It was a, when I was there for nine weeks, they strung up a 64-year-old lady and 18-year-old guy while, while we were there. And they have these big warning signs. You know, if you're carrying drugs, you will be killed if you go in here. And I remember, even though I wasn't carrying drugs, I'm going, please don't. Oh, and then you have dogs right here, and they're sniffing your, your luggage as you go by, and you're going, please don't bark, please don't bark, please don't bark, please don't bark, even though you know you don't have any drugs. But the thing is, these dogs are incredible, right? They can sniff things out. They can sniff drugs out if they're in canisters, inside coffee, inside goop, inside everything. These dogs are amazing. If you've ever seen them, they go and they'll go up to bag and go, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. And then we'll see something, woo, woo, woo. you know, they'll, they'll announce it and everything. The Holy Spirit is this incredible lie-sniffing, you know, part of the, the Trinity. It can, he can sniff out a lie anytime, anywhere. And, and so if you're ever wondering something, your, your, your heart starts doing backflips and saying this doesn't feel right, even though you can't tell a, a chapter and a verse or anything like that, you somehow know it's wrong. In fact, a, a, a friend the other day was saying, hey, you know what? I've seen this on the internet. Just check this out to see what you think about it. I wasn't watching it for three seconds before I, my, my spirit was doing backflips inside me going, this is whoop, 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 orf, 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 you know, that kind of thing of just this is, this is wrong. And I've learned to trust that in my heart. I've learned to trust that spirit inside me saying, wrong, 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 don't do that. So, and, and here's the beautiful thing. What, listen to this. This is actually my verse, my, uh, part of my devotion this morning. But solid food is for the mature, who don't miss this, by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And when you're sitting there going, when, when you have the Word of God and the, and the Spirit of God and, the, and know the character of, uh, of God, and you're training yourself in that way, when a lie comes your way, you can, di- you can discern that in a, in a heartbeat. And here's just one of the uh, young adults in our church that, that can talk to you about this exact thing that we're talking so about. So God has been doing an amazing work in my life recently, and this has come through great people, um, through Scripture, and through the Battlefield of the Mind book. Um, God has always done such a wonderful job putting beautiful people into my life and one of those people is Sherry Neely and she was not only a job mentor but she was a great friend and um, she always spent so much time in the mornings before work um, just encouraging me spiritually and helping me get out of 
the negative mindset that I was always living in when it came to struggles or situations in my life. Um, she was actually the one who got me the Battlefield of the Mind book uh, sometime last year, well before we started doing it for a church series. And she knew that this book would help me overcome my need to control and try to rationalize through situations before trusting in God's way. So shortly after she got me the book, um, I was presented with this amazing job opportunity, and it was exactly what we were looking for since my job with her was temporary, um, and it was the perfect fit for me, uh, and it was just around the time that my current job with her was supposed to end. Um, and I remember that the way that God gave this message to me and told me that this was the path I was going to go down was so perfect. The signs that he gave um, were just crafted perfectly to fit my mindset and the way that I thought. Um, so I, you know, I had my own little praise party and moment of thankfulness and gratefulness. Um, but I remember that not too long after this opportunity was presented, I just took a moment to think and to process. And the enemy used that open door to plant lies and seeds of doubt into my mind. And that need to control started again. And I went down the path of thinking thoughts like, I'll get rejected, I'm going to end up without a job, unemployed, or have to go back to work that I'm miserable in. Um, but the second that I recognized that I was in this mindset and I was thinking these thoughts, I picked up the book and I started reading. And I remember that the the practical tools that this book gave and most most even the scriptures were what helped me the most. And I remember um, 2 Corinthians 10.5, um, I read that and it impacted me so much that I memorized it. Um, I demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and I take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I would re read this verse over and over again, and I would go outside um, and shout it at the top of my lungs just so I could hear this promise that God had and just to remind me of my strength and God's love for me and what I could do against these negative thoughts. And once I realized the power that these verses had, I started to commit more and more verses to memory so I could remember God's promises um, in every area of my life. And um, so what this book taught me... Um, and, and everything that it gave me and uh, to, to get through all these weaknesses that I was dealing with in my mind um, was was so wonderful because I spent my two months of unemployment just in joy and praising God and um, learning about who he was rather than spending so much time worrying and expecting him to be something and I remember having this mindset change um, of just praising him and declaring that you know, He loves me, and He is God of my life, and His plans are best for me, even before the miracle happened or before my prayer was answered. And um, that job that I was so worried about, I have it now because God promised it to me, and I put my faith in Him um, after reading this book. And I remember looking back that God is with me every step of the way, battling for my mind. Amen. I love that. You know, something about the enemy's lies, sometimes they are just blatant, right? I mean, Adolf Hitler in his book Mein Kampf said that if you tell a lie big enough, you say it simply and you say it enough, the people will believe it. And we can look at our culture and realize that there are some lies that, uh, that he has propagated that, that, uh, and he just says it over and over and over and over and people start be believing it in our, our, our culture. Other times there's things that the, the lie is absolutely hidden and we don't see the lie until we, until we take the, the bait like a, like a fish on a, on a lure. 
But then there's other times, and think about how many times this happens, that there's, that there's a, a partial truth, there's a truth, but then he wraps it in a lie, and, and we start to believe it because, because we believe that truth so that we think the lie must be real as well. An example of that would be this. You blow it, okay? There's something, you said something, you did something, you blew it. And okay, that's, that's the reality. But then what Satan does is not only does he say you blew it, therefore, man, you're a failure because you blew it. And, that's the, and so we start believing the, the lie that's wrapped around it because we believe that little truth in the, in the middle. Or maybe that, that, that you have an anger problem, and maybe your tongue is used and it, it, hurts, it hurts people. And that's the truth. That's, what it, that's the situation. Or maybe it's, maybe it's lust. That there's, that right now your mind is filled with things that shouldn't be filled with and, and filling it with that thing. And, and so that's the truth. That's where it is right now. But see, what Satan would try to do is he'd take that and go, you know what, so you are just a failure as a Christian and God can't stand you. God can't stand to be near you. And you're always going to be that way because that's what you are right now. So you might as well just give in to it. That's where it takes the, the truth. And so what do we do? If we believe that lie that Satan has... What it is going to do, it is always going to lead to, to, to pain in our life if we do that. In fact, this is how you can always tell that if something, that whether it comes from God or not. If it brings, if it brings hopelessness into you, if it brings condemnation into you, if it brings shame into you, it's not of God because the Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is always a God of hope. He's never saying this is final. He's always saying he's always giving us uh, hope that we can change, that we can be trans- transformed. And in the, the same way, if it brings, if it brings uh, the you know, bitterness or anything like that, we, or anxiety, we know that. And God is a God of hope. So here's the thing. So what do we so, what do? We do? We, can, we do two things. First of all, we confess it. We say, you know what? I did that. Confess literally means it is, it's a compound word in the Greek. It's homologio. And that means, homo means the same. Logio means speak. It literally means to speak the same. It's saying, God, you say this is wrong. I say this is wrong. You say this is a destructive way of thinking. I say this is a destructive way of thinking. I agree with you in that. I confess that this is what I've, I've been doing. This is what I've, I've, I've done or said. But then it's also, then it's, it's repent. And the word there is a beautiful word. It really is. It's, it's metanuo. Meta means, which it's means to change. Nuo means your mind. So it's literally changing your mind or changing your thoughts. God, okay, I say that about this. I agree with you. And God, I'm changing. I'm changing the way I think about this. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. I'm not going to allow this into my life anymore. It's not who I am. I'm changing my way of thinking. I'm not believing the lie any, uh, anymore. And so also, so the, the thing that we need to do, we need to recognize the lies. We need to demolish the lies. And here's the third thing, is we need to nip it in the bud. Go ahead and show up there. This is what, to me, one of the, the greatest theologians of all time named Barney Fife, right? There we go. And he would, I mean, he's always saying, nip it in the bud, nip it in the bud. And what he's saying is, man, we've got to stop where it is right now. And that's actually really, really good theology. There's a person that, I mean, there was a time that when I would go outside and get, the news, get a newspaper, yeah, I was actually getting a newspaper, and there were two big bushes that I'd go through to, to get to it in our house. And it seemed like this didn't just happen for a couple of days. This was happening for a couple of weeks, maybe even like a month. I would, I would walk through there, and every day there would be this incredibly, you know, incredible spider web from this incredibly ambitious spider. So I would every day have to tear that down, and several times I forgot about it, and all of a sudden there's this spider web on my face that I'd have to go, uh, you know, move like this. And finally it occurred to me, 
I can either spend the rest of my life, every day of my life, trying to get rid of the spider web on my face or doing that, or I can kill the spider. Thank you very much, right? And so I went after the spider and never had to worry about that again. And sometimes there's, there's times that we go after every day. We're dealing with the same issues. We're dealing with the same stuff. We're dealing with the same junk. And one of the big reasons is we haven't gone after the spider. We haven't gone after the lie that started the whole thing. We haven't gone after the stronghold that it is. And we're dealing with all these issues over here of relational issues and things like this. But we, what we need to do is go back and attack that and kill the spider. And there was, uh, there was a time that I worked at a, a restaurant for a short amount of time. And, and the great thing is about working at this restaurant, you could take food home with you if you wanted. Man, whoa, I fed like a third world country every day that I was going home with that. And one time I took some milk and I threw the milk in the back of the, my car. I was probably 17, 16, 17 at the time. And somehow, I still don't know how it happened, but it wedged up underneath the driver's seat. And that's okay when it's April. But then all of a sudden, when it gets to be May, June, and July, I'd go in there and go, whew, you know, and I'd start looking, and I couldn't find anything. My friends would come in and go, what is with your car? It was horrible. And I'd bring spray and, you know, try to cover it up. I'd try to bring those, you know, the little things that made it smell better and everything. It, it you know, it was, it was too strong. And so finally, one night, I said, let's find this thing. If we have to tear the car apart, let's find this thing. And sure enough, one person found it way up there, have no idea it got up there. But you know what? It comes to the point where sometimes you just go, I'm not taking the stench anymore. I'm going after this thing that has affected me for so, for so long. And here's the question. What is it? What's the peg? What's the post? How do you do that? What is, what is God saying? What's the lie that you've believed? And how do you start believing the, the truth? And Bobby started saying something in, uh, in, in uh, a worship design meeting. I thought, man, you need to say this at the end because I think it's a great way to close. Good. Thank you. Um, yeah, see if I can articulate the thought that I shared with Lowell um, this past week, you guys, because for me it was uh, just a profound realization, and I, and I think one that's, um, that probably many of us, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, can, can relate to. But, uh, you know, Lowell started his message this morning by, by just saying that there are incredible blessings for having a godly mind, and I think, you know, as, as he's unpacking his message, I think many of us would, would recognize that that's, that's clearly what the Word of God says, you know. But I, it occurred to me a few weeks ago that, that even though this is true, the reality is I'm looking at people in my own realm of influence, gosh, people in my own family um, who profess um, Jesus Christ as Lord but aren't experiencing the level of just of, of joy and contentment and uh, an abundant life that, that I seem to be experiencing. And so I just began to ask myself, what's the difference? What's, what's the What's the catalyst for one person experiencing abundant life that Jesus offers and promises versus not when we both profess the same Lord? And I think this is this is it. So just reference the study that we're doing as a as a church in Battlefield of the Mind, and obviously this is our, our sermon series as well. But there was a, a chapter that we read a few weeks ago. I'm gonna read just an excerpt from it. it. Just says your life may be in a state of chaos because of years of wrong thinking. If so, it is important for you to come to grips with the fact that your life will not get straightened out until your mind does. You should consider this area a vital necessity. Be serious about tearing down the strongholds Satan has built in your mind. And you know, I, when I think of that, I think the reason that stood out to me so much is because I believe that Satan has tricked many of us into complacency. I think that... Uh, 
that the enemy has convinced us, you know, I, I recognize that stronghold, that line of thinking. I, I, I definitely need to do something about that. But ooh, it's a busy time at work right now. Uh, you know what? Next quarter, next quarter, we get through this quarter and I'm going to I'm going to take care of that thing or you know, just go you know, whatever circumstance, you, you know, of your life that you can put in, in, in place of that example. It's the same thing. We just keep kicking that proverbial can of dealing with these strongholds down the road. And uh, before we know it, our, our front porch is full of spider webs. And Lola hadn't planned to share this, but as Lola was sharing the example of killing, and somebody over here prophetically said, kill the spider. I love that because uh, it occurred to me as, as Lola was sharing that, that uh, at, at my house, we live out in the, out in the woods, and uh, uh, we have a covered porch and consistently, and the porch just gets spider webs, spider webs all over it. And... Um, you know, it's an aggravation for my wife and, uh, and, a, and a nuisance for me, obviously. But, but I realized I love that word because I just went, man, you know, at the, at the evidence of the first spider web, I wished in hindsight that I had just gone and killed that spider. You know, and then I wouldn't, then I wouldn't be, the, the, the work to clear the spider webs wouldn't have been near as intense as it was if I had just dealt with the spider from the very beginning. And again, church, I'm just convinced that many of us are, are just... Uh, just complacent, or if not complacent, we just think it's it's an issue that we'll deal with at some point in time, but then we never really do. And again, before we realize it, the porch is full of spider webs, you know. And I also share with Lowell this week that for me, one motivator is uh, is being a dad, and uh, and I think about generational curses and generational sin that's passed down from the generations prior to me, and that's been that's been handed to me. And, um, and I look at my little girls and I just go, you know what? I just refuse to hand down that legacy any longer. And if you're a parent, you can probably relate to that, wanting to leave a good legacy for your kids. But, you know, honestly, even if you're not a, a parent, you have spiritual children. You've got, you, you've got people in your sphere of influence, all right, people that you, you are going to pass a legacy off one way or the other. It's either going to be a good legacy or a bad legacy, but you are going to leave a legacy and so let, let the people around you, if you're having trouble just for your own sake, and if, if you're not sick of not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus offers just for, your own, just for your own sake, look at the people in your sphere of influence that you love, that you want to experience that abundant life. And just go, you know what, let that be the motivation for me to finally deal with these, these strongholds um, that I've dealt with for too long. And one concluding thought for you guys is, um, you know, and I, I had this, this thought this morning that, you know, most Sundays in here, Lowell opens up the altar and people are invited to come down. And obviously we, we are so blessed to have um, such a passionate and, um, uh, and motivated and loving um, and, and also gifted prayer and altar team that come down here and want to just agree with you in prayer. And one of the reasons we offer that, you guys, is um, because when you walk out of here, so when you're here and you hear the message all right, the message is great, but what matters more than the message is our response to the going forth of the Word of God, okay? So when we open the altar in here, this is an opportunity for you to respond. If you've never done it before, if you've never come to the altar, you know, odds are it's going to be awkward. It's going to be, it's going to be a little weird for you um, or, or uncomfortable. But I, I would just challenge you and encourage you that when you step out the doors, the world begins to, to just press it's, uh, its usual influence back in on you. And I read a verse in Hebrews that I thought, you know, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did during your time of rebellion. And I just think, you guys, there's an opportunity for us. Last night as I was, I was thinking about what I would share, um, the Lord told me the altar is a depository for hard hearts. Because also in Scripture, he promises that he'll take our heart of stone and he'll give us a heart of flesh. And so the altar is a depository 
for hard hearts. And so if you want to if you want to say, Lord, in response to the message today, I I want to deal with this stronghold. I don't want to kick this can down around anymore for my own sake, for my family's sake. There's an opportunity for you guys to do that at the altar today. Don't don't leave here. If you hear, even if you aren't sure you hear, but you think you hear the Lord speaking to you and say, it's time, it's time for us to finally start dealing with this area of stronghold in your life. Respond. Come to the come to the altar. Deposit that hard heart and receive a heart of flesh. Amen.